Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Experto Williams. This is the progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. Remember, you can also send me a tweet to E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is... At Egberto Williams. Let us engage. It is politics done right. One, two, three, four. Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for spending this time with me. We have a whole lot to talk about today. We are going to talk about a friend, uh, well, an old friend, an old Republican guy who wrote an essay and uh sent it out to me and asked me to go ahead and get it around because all Republicans aren't what you think of. But before we get into all of that, we're going to have a good discussion. And by the way, do remember that this is a call-in show and I'd love to hear from you. Do remember that our telephone number is 646-929-2495. Again, that telephone number is 646-929-2495. So uh, if you have something to say, go ahead and give us a call. Likewise, If you want to be a part of the discussion right here on Facebook Live, be sure to go ahead and leave me some messages right here on the Facebook Live, and I'll be sure as well to make sure that I answer any questions that you may have or relate to our our larger audience what you're talking about. But before I get started, I want to get I want to talk about the death of uh, El Señor Castro. Uh, Hello, Daniel. How are you doing today, my friend? Uh, The death of Fidel Castro. Right now, the and I want to be measured in what I'm going to say about uh, Fidel Castro. It is very, very important. I know uh, we demonize uh, communists, socialists, uh, fascists, and all the otherists, which m- most times it is justifiably so. But I want to I want to give an uh, a, a story about. Cuba, an important story about Cuba, and I want you guys to remember this. Mind, I am not a friend of any uh, president. I am not a friend of any politician. I am not a friend of whether democratic, communist, socialist, or whatever. My sole goal and purpose in what I do and what many of us do is to make sure that lives are better for the vast majority of those of us living on this planet, Americans or otherwise. And let me tell you, uh, Cuba, or rather Castro, was not a result of some crazy person wanted to be a communist dictator of some some land. I want you guys to do your research as far as what Cuba was back in the 50s, early 60s, what Cuba was. Remember that Cuba was the playground of the mob. Remember that Cuba was a place where Americans went to have fun, irrespective of the social conditions of the people in that place. Remember that is what Cuba was. 
Another thing, uh, no, no government stays afloat for north of six decades if the vast majority of the people want it gone, no matter how oppressive that government is. That goes for Cuba. That goes for China. That goes for Vietnam. That goes for North Korea. That goes for Iraq. That goes for all these countries. For us as Americans living in a a supposed democracy to believe that somehow these tyrants as defined by us are in fact what they are perceived as by their populations and that population somehow remain passive and keep them in power, we need to look in the mirror ourselves. After all, we just had an election who the by law, and this we had a legal election that a Donald Trump legally won. He won the Electoral College. Theoretically speaking, the counts were correct. And as such, he is the legitimate president of the United States. But within our own supposedly democratic republic, he's, uh, Hillary having gotten over north of 2 million votes more than he did, more than many other presidents that have, that have sit in the White House gotten over their opponent, will not be the president of the United States because of our own desires for this type of democracy. Now, going back to the Castro uh, issue, when, uh, before, when Batista was in power, and do remember that El Senor Batista, the former uh, leader of Cuba, he was a dictator. The former leader of Cuba was a dictator named Batista. But because he was our dictator, the American's dictator, everything was okay. Forget that the vast majority of the population then lived in poverty. Forget that people who looked like yours truly would never be engineers, doctors, lawyers, or any professional at all. And and when Castro came into power, and by the way, like I said, I am no friend of any particular, I am a friend of no particular dictator, president, democratic, or otherwise. These are just facts. The fact is, people who looked like me in Cuba, people who were of the lower socioeconomic strata, which were most, they were simply the pawns. They were simply the effects. They were simply the the widgets within the Cuban economic system that was there to support the American rich or those who were able to afford. So henceforth, creating, creating the atmosphere, creating the platform for a Castro to evolve. And evolve, he did. And he took over that country. And at first, it was not a true communist country, but because and I don't know the complete history, but I know quite a bit of the history, much of what we did as Americans in lack of support or wanting a particular type of support for the newly, for the newly, uh, for the person who had taken power, he placed his allegiance elsewhere. 
if we had played our cards differently, more than likely his allegiance would have been with us. But anyhow, going back to the, to the, to the people themselves, remember what I care about are people. People under his regime were, again, people who looked like me, which there are a whole lot of Cubans who look like me. Varias de las personas no saben que los cubanos negros, o hay varios cubanos negros ahí en Cuba. Very few people realize that, or maybe they're starting to realize that now. But I tell you what, folks who look, look like me became engineers. They became doctors. They became lawyers. They were exported throughout the world to do good. They were exported to other countries to do good. Now, we can talk about several other regimes that look where, where the plutocracy within that regime so abused the people that we got Castro or Castro-lite leaders running this these countries, Venezuela, Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez was a product of a rich country, a country rich in natural resources that was robbed by foreign powers and the elite, the plutocracy within that country. Most of the people in the country poor, the country swimming on a vast, a vast ocean of oil and natural resources, and what happens to the people? None of it goes to the people. But, And by the way, remember, oil was given to the country by Mother Earth. Not anybody that created it. It was created or it is just where it is. Cuba, Venezuela, we can go off. We can go from one country to another to another where it's natural resources instead of being there for the people of the country to enrich them been simply used to enrich a few who became pawn of very large capitalist countries that extracted but did not put back into these countries. These are concepts that we are devoid of learning here in the United States because the same thing that, is occur that has occurred to these countries is exactly what's occurring here in America. Trump is a result of, yes, we do realize that there is a lot of misogyny, racism, uh, 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 xenophobia, and all of that that he used to get into power. But the underlying, the underlying, the underlying issues that allowed Trump to stoke the racial, sexist, Islamophobic, seed within those people, the underlying factor is economic angst. And that economic angst is the same economic angst that was felt in Cuba. It's the same economic angst that is felt in, in Venezuela. It's the same economic angst that is felt in the Philippines. It's the same economic angst that we can go country after country after country that they're feeling. It's the economic angst that, is, that went over Great Britain. Good morning, my dear uh, cousin Ray Holder, and welcome aboard, Daniel Ledo. The same economic angst that is going through country after country, and America has proven with the election of Donald Trump that it is not immune to the same economic forces of legal theft 
that occurs on the population. Let me repeat, the same economics angst that is affecting Great Britain, that's affecting Venezuela, that's affecting Colombia, that is affecting country after country after country, is the same effect that we are seeing here in the United States. And if there's one thing that we've noticed, is those that are aggrieved, their behavior is identical. They make irrational decisions based on those who stoke those fears, provide them with a fallacy of the causality of those fears. They act, they act, and then we get some other results. No, um, not at all, um, Daniel. I'm not equating Trump with Castro. Actually, I think Trump is a lot worse than Castro. And the reason I think Trump, Castro never tried to fool himself, fool his people. I mean, he went to his people and told them after several iterations with the United States and otherwise, el comunismo es, un, es una forma del gobierno que nos puede ayudar. That's what he said. I'm not saying that. That's what he said. Okay? Uh, he believes that the only way that the people get all is that we don't allow anybody to get too, get too much. I have some mitigations to what, what he's talking about because I've taken some conservative positions on, capital, on, on, capital, on, on how to work with capital that I think actually some of the conservatives would like themselves. And don't forget, I'm a businessman myself. So it's not like I'm some kind of guy who doesn't believe in free enterprise. I believe in free enterprise. I believe, in, I believe everybody should have the ability to have their own businesses. I believe all of that. What I do not believe is on, in unfettered capitalism because it is nothing more. It looks at people as nothing more than widgets. They are nothing more than widgets. That's why we value capital in this country more than we value human life. Again, that's why we value capital in this country more than we value human life. But, you know, that is going to change because there are going to be enough, on a, enough of us on these types of stations that will be out there preaching the word, fact-based words, so that people would be able to make up their mind and wonder, why is it that the guy who makes millions by sitting down at his pool, but he happens to own shares in a company, why is the risk he takes in investing his capital any more than the risk that man who is building that bridge, who could lose an arm, a leg, or his life, is taken when he works for that man who capitalized the bridge? Why is capital, again, worth more than life? We have to re-indoctrinate ourselves into thinking more about humanity than thinking about those who possess capital as being more worthy of humanity. Think about that. Think about that. But anyhow, what is our show going to be about today? I had to bring that in about Castro and, and just remind people that, you know, there are two sides to every story and there's no one that's all bad. There's no one that's all good. We, if we looked at American history of what we've done to, uh, uh, to, to our, our native people when we got here to, to make sure to, to have this country. If we look at American history and what we had to do to the Chinese to build the Pacific Railroad, the railroad from the Pacific across the, the plains. If we look at the, the economy that was completely and entirely built 
on the backs of slaves. We have to remember that our history does not justify that we judge anybody. Our history, our history makes it unjustifiable for us to judge others other than trying to provide a helping hand, not a moralistic hammer, but a helping hand to move forward. Because our wealth in this country was not built on, by generous means, was not built on moral terms. We, we did a lot of maiming, a lot of killing, a lot of destroying to build the wealth. And after we build the wealth, we then decide that we want to be civilized. After we got, we stole all of this and we built all of this. And now that we've taken all of this, now we must be civilized. Well, you know, suppose others decide that they want to take the same, the same path that America took. Remember that. And that's the reason why we must be humble. That is the reason why we must not be moralistic. That is the reason why we must be more placating to others. To say one thing, please, don't take the path that got us here. There are other paths. Yes, we took a shortcut. We took a shortcut. We decided to, to, to get that cotton going, to be able to be the number one cotton exporter in the world. We decided, yeah, we're going to enslave them people. In order to build a Pacific Railroad, we decided, yeah, we're going to have some indentured servants that we couldn't work anybody else like that. And in order to have a big, huge country full of natural resources, we decided to say, well, we'll just take it. And anybody try to stop us, whether it's your land or whether you've been on it or not, we'll get rid of you. That is our reality. That is the reality we have to accept. Now, it's not the reality that we have to live on, but know your past so that you can be more, so that you can be more understanding of other folks around the world. And so that you can be more respected. And, you know, in doing so, you eliminate a whole lot of wars as well because you realize that you're just as fallible as everybody else. You are just as fallible as everybody else. Anyhow, folks, the, the, the words of my friend, a former Republican, gives me hope. Republicans, true to form, were returned to Donald Trump. Yeah, they were returned to Donald Trump. They allowed their own recessive bias to overcome their intellect. They allowed... A lot of what I've spoken to you before in the monologue to take over. And, John, I see that you are here after the, the blog of the week. I'll be coming in. Yes, I was happy to hear from my friend, a former Republican, who would have none of it. And he, he wrote a piece in uh, Pantheus uh, blog, and he sent it out to me. And he said, uh, tell me what you think about this. After I read it. I said, what do I think about this? It's not just what do I think about this, my friend, is may I publish it through my different blogs and websites, to which he said, please do. I want more of my Republican friends to see this because, folks, we are at a point of clear and present danger. We are at a point at clear and present. Some don't yet see it. Some of us see a bit further in the future. But anyhow, folks, what are your thoughts? Let's talk. I will be following our hashtag politics done right on Twitter. On Twitter as well, Egberto Willis. Please go ahead to Egberto Willis on Twitter 
and go ahead and follow Egberto Willis on Twitter and go to my Politics Done Right page on Facebook and give me a like. Let's get this stuff growing. Let's get this type of information that you're not going to be here. These guys spending any time on, on mainstream media. Let's get it out here. But folks, I think you know what time it is, right? Oops, I, I, that was the wrong clip, but I think you know what time it is. It's time for the weekly blog post. Okay, here's the blog post, and then we're going to get in with it. This was from my Republican friend. I titled the words from this former Republican gives me hope under Trump's rule. Every so often, I hear from Mike Safford, a former Republican and a former member of Coffee Party USA. Today, he speaks with an essay that gives me hope in navigating the next four years of Trump. It gives me great hope when a former Republican speaks about real activism that involves dissent and nonviolent civil resistance. Mike Stafford wrote the following in his must-read piece titled, Blessed or Dissidents. Again, his piece was titled, Blessed or Dissidents. And he says, as I write this, reports are circulating that Donald Trump, our president-elect, intends to follow through on some of, the, of his most divisive campaign promises and actually create some sort of registry for Muslim immigrants. More broadly, regardless of whether this specific plan is put into action, there can be no denying the fact that Trump is busy populating his incoming administration with bigots, xenophobes, and conspiracy theory peddlers in addition to the usual crowd of corporate courtiers Indeed, an anti-Semitic white nationalist, Steve Bannon, now sits literally at the right hand of secular power. None of this should surprise us, and we should believe him. Who should we believe? We should believe Senor Trump. Trump's campaign involved not the mere violation of established norms of political behavior, but rather their outright desecration. It featured overt appeals to racial fears, xenophobia, and misogyny. He winked approvingly at acts of political violence and vigilantism. He mocked the disabled. He retweeted quotes from Benito Mussolini. He threatened to jail his opponent. And despite all of this, he was elected. On uh, close quote. Now, Mike points out that there is nothing more Nothing normal about Trump, yet the normalization process is in full vogue. Mike, like many others who know that acquiescing to evil is in itself evil, implores that we take action. And he says the following, open quote, make no mistake, Trump represents a decisive break with everything that has come before. This election really is different, hence the imperative of dissent and nonviolent civil resistance. Dissent challenges the false but comforting narrative of continuity with with the reality of rupture. At the dawn of the Trump regime, dissent and nonviolent acts of civil disobedience are the two essential mechanisms for preserving our own integrity and avoiding complicity in a newly emergent form of radical political evil. In this regard, the greatest challenge we face isn't overcoming our fear, but rather the conscience-dulling effects of our comfort and complacency. 
This is the inertia that keeps us silently at work in our offices and cubicles and out of the streets. Be, but be warned, in the age of Trump, silence is complicity in the lie. Silence makes accomplices and accessories of us all. This is Mike speaking now. This is a former Republican, strong Republican. We, at Coffee Party, we have Republicans, Democrats, and everybody, and we're trying to have communication among each other so that we can show what it is like where people of different ideologies can get together and move the country forward. This guy, we, we had several disagreements because, like I, my friend Lado would uh, think, maybe I'm a little bit too much to the left for the, for the thoughts of many. But when he sends something like this, and he writes this way, it tells you, it tells you how far we have drifted. And notice what he speaks about complacency and willful ignorance and these types of issues. It is very, very important. We can't wait till it's upon us. We've got to act. Continuing, Mike ends his piece with an admonition. And this is what Mike says, open quote. As Pope Francis has taught, blessed are those who renounce their own comfort in order to help others. And we might go further in Trump's America, blessed also are the dissidents. Blessed are those with courage to make a start. My brothers and sisters, listen to the voice of warning in your hearts. The day is coming when you will rend your garments and lament not what you have done, but what you did not do more. Truly, we must love one another or die. Close quote. When you have five minutes, read Mike Stafford's piece in its entirety. These were just excerpts out of the piece. It's, it's some of the excellent work that he's done thus far. If you go to... Um, to my website, um, or even to the article that I just read, the blog of the week, there's a link directly to his post on that. It's a very, very important piece that we need to, to look into, it's that we need to look at. But anyhow, the telephones are open. The telephone number is uh, 646-929-2495. Again, that telephone number is 646-929-2495. You have other messages like that, uh, Mr. Lido has been filling up my mail here. I'll be talking to you about some of that, Lido. We also have Ray Holder. Let's flip roles. Can you imagine if President Obama had done the same? Of course not, Ray. Uh, there are two standards here. There, I mean, uh, 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 before I get to uh, John, I'm getting to John right away, but there's an interesting uh, piece that uh, Dot Mike put out uh, today. It is, a, it is a video. And I didn't realize that this month there were 12 police officers that were killed. I think it's this month that, uh, that Mike says, uh, Mike, you know, Mike, uh, that, that, that site, new site. Anyhow, it turns out that a whole lot of cops got killed, sadly so. And the question was, where is the Blue Lives Matter uh, consortium from the conservative side of the aisle coming to, the, to, coming to protest what's happening? until they made it clear what happened. The vast majority of all those killed by these cops didn't look like yours truly. So it would have destroyed the narrative 
for them to come out and accomplish what they wanted to accomplish when they claim to really support the police officers, which is not, it's very far from the truth. But anyhow, let's open the telephone lines. Again, that number is 646-929-2495. Again, that number is 646-929-2495. And my good friend, John, and regular, regular compatriot. Come on in, John. How are you doing today? Good afternoon, Egberto. How are you doing? So far, so good. Talk to me, John. Okay, uh, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I, I do have to say I that... Uh, start, I know where you're going to start, but go ahead. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, you know, w- with with Castro, I mean, the, the, the thing that you said about, uh, you know, not people, if they really wanted to overthrow him, they would do it. I mean, I, I really strongly disagree with that. I mean, this is, okay. you know, when you look at... When you look at Tiananmen Square, do you look at North Korea, you know, I mean, you look at uh, what happened in uh, Czechoslovakia in 68, in Hungary in 56, you know, they did have mass uprisings. I mean, it, it never happened in North Korea because they're, they, they know that immediately when they say anything, I mean, they have almost a thought police, they will be crushed. So the idea that that people, if they really oppose him, uh, you know, would would take over, I think that that's historically that's just not uh, correct. I mean, well, you know, I want to answer that because um, again, remember when I speak a lot of times, uh, I always I try to speak with nuances. It is what you said is absolutely true. If the average Korean person came out and tried to be a dissident, uh, he would be crushed the same in Russia, the same in China, the same in, in, the, the same in a lot of different places. In fact, the same here in the United States. And I, I think it is important, I mean, it, it, but it goes with level of, levels of gradation, right? Uh, you were, I, don't, I think you were a part of Occupy Wall Street. You know what happened in Philadelphia. You know what happened in New York. I mean, we just are, I mean, it, it, it was just done in a sophisticated manner. What I'm saying is there is a point, and, and again, this is not disagreeing with what you said, because I don't want people out there to just believe that what I'm saying is things are great and fine in these countries where the freedoms are limited. What I'm trying to say is you don't, that, that long, there, there is a point, there, there's a balance and there's always a tipping point. And I'm saying the fact that none of these places reached that tipping point. And then in addition to, uh, there, there is another piece that I really hope that you listen to when I spoke about the state under Batista as opposed to under Castro. Under Batista, there was a particular class that was doing just fine with the remainder just doing nothing. Under President Cast- uh, under Fidel Castro, uh, people that never thought they could ever be doctors People that never thought they could ever be lawyers and, and engineers and all these these guys, they were in the con- They became that within that country, and when they were exported to other countries, you then see mass defections. So what I'm trying to say is, there, we have to be measured. It, it is not that what you're saying is incorrect. That well, I mean, I think Castro is a dictator. Did he kill a whole lot of of his people? Yes. Did he lock up a lot of his dissidents? Yes. I agree with all of that. All of that, you're correct. But let's not look at it just in one direction, my friend. That's all I'm saying. No, I mean, I agree with with what you're saying. I mean, what you're saying is true, too. I mean, the, he did, uh, he did uh, you know, help people uh, 
for, you know, I mean, they did get health insurance, but I mean, that's the give and take. I mean, this is this right. is what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, uh, you know, we can we can have these certain things. In other words, let's say, uh, I, I don't think neither one of us are, you know, full fledged communist. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, no, you know, there, there are certain. Right, but I mean, there are certain uh, things that that you know, let's say that that the Nordic countries do that that is similar to to a lot of you know, having free health care that that Europeans countries do that Australia does that Japan. I mean, all these countries do this. So uh, my point is, is that sometimes I think you know, I mean, you just said that that you know about the things that Castro did wrong. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so I'm I'm just saying we should try to, you know, take the things that he did right and then also take out the things that he did wrong. So, I mean, just let's have a, a, a full broad picture of what, you know, the whole thing. And so and that's, that, that's my to, point. That's what I try to do. Uh, uh, that's why what I try to do, John. What I wanted to do is not just have the narrative today that Castro is dead. Great. The guy that, that the, our biggest communist in this hemisphere is dead. And just look at it that way, because what I wanted, and, and you, you guys or listening can tell me if I was successful in doing that. What I wanted to point it out, point out, is that there was a reason for the creation of Castro. There was a reason for the creation of uh, Hugo Chavez and all these guys. And, and, and what we do is we buy into a narrative that's usually put out by the plutocracies of the world, America and others, that they, they just look at these dictators as left-wingers who are trying to get rid of capitalism and all of that, which is not the case at all. I'm a free enter. First of all, capitalism, I don't believe in unfettered capitalism. I believe in free enterprise, everybody being able to have their own businesses. And, and I believe in corporations being formed to do the things they were originally intended to do. You form a corporation to accomplish a particular task. Those investors are compensated for that task. And after the task is complete, the corporation goes out of existence. For long-term corporate, for, for things that are that need to be long-term, those are things that should be in the purview, in my opinion, of we the people. I mean, it is just that simple. You cannot have a whole bunch of people enriching themselves forever for having done one thing and monetizing it. Let me give another example about that. I was talking to a friend, and I'm going to try to have a meeting with one of our uh, one of our leaders that would likely be in in, in office pretty soon. What I want to talk about is the following. I want to ask him, right now in Texas, if you notice, we're going through this thing where they're building freeways, but a lot of these freeways that they're building are private freeways. Well, they are in public land, they're public resources, but they are built uh, as private uh, as, as private entities. And all Americans now that are using these freeways will pay tolls. And these tolls will go to pay off the loans for whatever that private company did to make the freeways. But after that, as opposed to the, after the freeway is paid for, as opposed to us leaving a small toll on maybe for maintenance, if we want to kind of defer it from just general taxes, I prefer general taxes. Some people would like to say, well, let's make people in the area who are using it have a bigger, a bigger share of it. Why should rural America always pay for that? I don't buy into that because we help rural America more than rural America helps the cities. But that's another story. The, the thing about it is uh, what we have here is toll roads after they're paid for. All that cash goes into the uh, coffers of private companies. So they're using a resource that, that, uh, that, the, that, that, that we the people are dependent on, that we the people must use to get around. 
to enrich themselves. I just think that is highway robbery. I think that is wrong. That is what you call unfettered, unfettered capitalism that destroys the economies of people, the personal economies of people. I have a friend. I was just, I went to Thanksgiving, did two Thanksgiving dinners on Thursday. First one was in way West Houston, uh, where they just built uh, the, the 99, uh, the 99 expressway that is uh, all tolls. And he uses the expressway every day to go to work. And for a lot of people who use this expressway, their bill, their monthly bill is about $200 a month on tolls so that they don't have to fight the crazy traffic out there. Why aren't we concentrating, uh, us activists who have allowed our state, who've been concentrating on federal issues, why haven't we, our local activists, started to go into areas locally to show people how our way, this is how we can demonstrate our way would financially save them money. Not $200 a month, but less than $200 a month if we do this. So that, those are the kinds of things I'm talking about, John. No, I agree with that. And actually, this is also, this is what Trump's infrastructure plan, I'm not sure if you've really, uh, you know, if you've been following what his I mean, it, it's totally about privatization. I mean, most people, when they hear infrastructure, you know, they think, oh, yeah, great. We're going to take, you know, taxpayer money and help our bridges and help our, you know, build bridges, build roads, you know, everything that's necessary. This is not what Trump wants to do. Right. He wants to he wants to build more. He wants to the people to buy bonds. Right. <laughs> and uh, and basically uh, the people who buy the bonds are going to want something in return. And so exactly. this is this is the total privatization of the infrastructure. And you know, people don't I mean, you know, people don't really realize this yet. I mean, I think now people, I mean, like Bernie Sanders uh did hear about this and he's he's already said we're not going to do any of that, you know. Right. And so uh but I mean, you know, this is this is about the the entire privatization of of, of of America, and this is what Trump's doing. Look at his recent uh, uh, appointment to the what is it, the Education Secretary, uh-huh. Devon. I, I hope you read the article that I po- reposted from uh, PR Watch. PR Watch has a complete article on everything that this woman is all about. That that's on my blog site called Lib- the Liberal the Liberal uh, Network dot com. TheLiberalNetwork.com, I, I, that's where I post third-party uh, things that I don't write. That's where I post them. So you should check that out. It, it, decom- it deconstructs the woman completely, John. Right. I mean, you know, she is just absolutely horrible. She is the worst. I mean, all the people who, who want to keep money in the public schools basically say that she is the worst possible person you could put there. But, I mean, Michelle Ree was also <laughs> – in in the running for this, and they are the two that that are right. just totally ideological, totally want to destroy public education in America. And the question is, will they? I mean, that's the question right now. Uh, people well, really have to start start uh, waking up. And you know, I mean, this is this is amazing. You know what's going on? It, this is just like the campaign because there's so much there's so much horrible. Uh, you know stuff out there that it's hard to focus on just uh, just a few of them. Uh, like you know, I mean, what I want to focus on right now is, is on, on the emoluments clause because mm-hmm. I mean this this could you know literally you know 
caused Trump's impeachment. And this right. is not just me saying this. This is, you know, you, this is Lawrence Tribe. This is Richard Painter, who was a Bush, uh, you know, right. ethics expert. This is, uh, uh, like I said, uh, the Wall Street that. Journal. Right. All yeah. of these people are saying that this is absolutely unprecedented. And what they're not saying is, is that they're – what they're saying, though, that, that is what I disagree with, is that it's 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 just a constitutional matter, but it's actually not. I was I was looking up this. It's the U.S. Uh, section code seventy three forty two, which uh, which deals with uh, you cannot get money that uh, you cannot get money from a foreign government. I mean, and, and this is actually something that the attorney general. This is subsection eight. The attorney general may bring a civil action in any district court of the United States against any employee that knowingly solicits and accepts gifts from a foreign government and is not consented by this. There's one problem with that, and and that is the same lawyer said that as well. I think uh, Painter spoke about that, and that is the president is exempted from those laws. No, no, it's not. It's not because earlier earlier in the subsection, it specifically says that he is uh, it's you know anybody can look this up. This is on the Cornell University website. It's U.S. Code seventy three forty two, and there's about five different websites that have. I mean, that have this. It's the whole thing, and it it it, it says very specifically that the president is, is part of this, and it, it's any employee, and it says the vi- the president and the vice president. So this is this again. This is a separate thing. This is a separate right. from the emolument clause. This is actually the receipt and dis- disposition of federal gifts and declarations. So this is a separate statute, and so I mean, and also what what uh, Trump's lawyers are saying about mm-hmm. how this doesn't apply to the president. That is complete bull BS. I mean, I, you know it is, is interesting. I, I don't like I am not a lawyer, so I'm I'll I'll just have to take your word for that, um, John. But um I I heard on several of the news programs that in effect I don't I don't know if this it, I don't know if that it's in the statutes and maybe the uh the Supreme Court for uh separation of powers or not because you know that we have to you have to be careful about how Congress write laws that that governs the president because again uh, of the separation of powers issue. So I am not I'm not sure of that you know I I believe what you're saying. However, I wonder why there are uh, other other authorities that are saying it doesn't apply to the president. You know that that's well, all. I mean, to me, in my mind, it's like people saying there is no global warming. I mean, that's what they're saying. It's all Trump people are saying this, and I, I mean, I, I don't, I hate to correct you on this, but I mean, oh, no, no, you, I, no, nobody should. But hate I mean, <laughs> well, well, no, I'm just saying that, like, on, on your website, the thing you put up yesterday, you made a couple of mistakes on it, and well, so, uh, well, the mistake, that you, the headline was wrong because the, 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 these, these weren't the, the people, the people that you identified. Uh, Richard Painter was right. The other guy was wrong. Uh, you didn't include him on the clip. You just included Richard Painter. But the I'll other guy, right? The other guy named Jan Baran. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a Republican operative. He's not. I mean, I know before what you stated was that there's a, a an Obama. I said uh, an Obama 
and I, and I Bush, I wanted to show that these were com- these messages were coming from both the Republican and the Democrat. No, but I mean that's not right, though. I mean because what what uh, what uh, I mean that that per in, in the clip that you put up in the clip that you put up, it it didn't have anybody for, who served for Obama at all. Uh, you, you had this guy Jan Barron, and you only had Richard Painter up in your clip. But right. I mean, this guy, this Jan Barron, who gave the opposite opinion of Painter, he is a he's a he's a he served as a general counsel for the Republican National Committee, and so so this is what you know this is what Republicans are saying. I mean, this is not what the consensus is. The consensus is is that. Is that he cannot do this? He has to divest. He has to divest as a constitutional matter, according to the emoluments clause, and he also has to inv- divest. He can't receive any money. He's already doing that. He's already had people in Argentina uh, approve a, a, a thing that he admitted to. He's already ad- admitted that he talked to Nigel Farage about taking wind people down. Uh, the, he he can't do this. I mean, this is a this is against the constitution and it's against the law. And so I mean, in two different areas. And so you know, I, I just wish that that uh, people would start. Ta- I mean, I know it's it's people are talking about it, but it's also in the last couple of days, it's just kind of gone in. And as as we have you know more people getting KT McFarlane, and now we're talking about you know who's going to be the Secretary of State and all this. I mean, it just it's just like all these other Trump controversies. It just kind of gets sits on the back burner for a while. But this let me stop you for a second because I want to highlight to my uh, listeners. What I said, the, the last part that I said in the um, in the piece that I wrote, and this is what I said: Harvard, and, and this was also uh, sort of. I, I actually got the the thing from from a, a talking points memo as well, I think. But here it goes: said Harvard law professor Larry Tribe goes further. He said that after extensive research, he concluded that Trump's ongoing business dealings around the world would make him the recipient of constitutionally prohibited emoluments from any king, prince, and foreign state in the original sense of payments and not necessarily presents or gifts from the very moment uh, he takes the oath of office. The professor said that Trump's would be knowingly breaking his oath of exclusive fealty. He said that violation would qualify as one of the high crimes and misdemeanors that would require Trump to be removed from office. So I I don't think that's that's or anything like that. Right. I I mean, no, that's true. You did write that, and that that was that's a very very important point because Lawrence Tribe is obviously you know well respected. He taught Obama at Harvard, and he's like one of the most well respected lawyers in the country. And so that is a good point. But I'm just saying you got that other other part wrong. But I mean that's okay. Uh, but but my point is 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 that a vast majority of people that I've seen, unless they're they're incredibly like partisan Trump lawyers. You know, mm-hmm. or rep- people who work for the Republican Party, they don't believe that. I mean, people, you know, people who just read this. I mean, it's it's a pretty simple thing, the actual emoluments clause. And I haven't heard anybody talking about this code seventy three forty two. But I mean, hopefully I, they will. It's news to me that what you just said, and and the reason, and henceforth what I said, I didn't, I hadn't seen that. And again, I'm not a lawyer, so that isn't my forte. Right now, I'm dependent on. Folks that we trust. You know what we talk about? We try to get sources that we trust 
and then push the sources that we trust in the areas of their expertise. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to try to tell anybody I'm a lawyer and I'm not going to preach like I'm a lawyer, you know? So, I mean, uh, so, you know, I, I take your word, uh, your word of that. I'm pretty sure you've did, done your research that, you, that you've always done. So I'll take it on that. But anyhow, let me go to Facebook Live for a second uh, here. See, uh, Tom Hines says, let's see, lock Hillary up, excise, Obamacare, drop NATO, give Japan, Saudi Arabia, Korean nuclear power, carpet bombs, veto TPP, build a wall that Mexico pays for and make America <laughs> I guess Tom Hines is talking about all the things that Trump said he's going to do that he start that he has already started to rescind on. And uh, from my cousin Ray Holder, so far all of his appointees have some serious baggage. Y'all think? And Daniel Ledo is still with us, Mr. Ledo. Uh, let's see. I think I saw a long message from Ledo before. Roberto, you need to pull back from the brink. Equating political dissidents in America to the same in China and North Korea is completely absurd you risk losing your reputation as re- as a reasonable pundit first of all i think if you if you go back if you look at this tape i never said that uh that the american dissident is the same as a dissident in any other country and please do remember i always speak about gradations i always speak about gradations i don't believe in things being necessarily black and white even though there are times in fact that things are black and white. And when, when they are black and white, it is incumbent on myself, people like John and others, to go out there into the, into the sphere and let it be known this is black and white, that Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to America. That's black and white. Because for uh, this would be the first in a long time, I don't know, maybe ever, that we had somebody of this guy's character, some guy of this guy's lack of knowledge, someone of this guy's, uh, well, how should I refer to him? Characteristically a flawed being to have taken control of the most important country in the world. All I can say one thing is thank you, Angela Merkel. At least we still have a strong democracy that uh, to deal with some of the issues around the world, but our prestige uh, for those who are not just concentrating into the echo chamber of the United States media and decide to go outside the United States media and see how we are referred to, what we look like, how people imply we are, which is important because we're not, we're not insular to the world. Uh, as more people, uh, as, you, as more of us see how we are looked at and what people think about us, then... Uh, well, who knows? But anyhow, folks, um, you have remember that this is a telephone call right now. We still have John on the line. Our number is two eight one, or rather six four six nine two nine two four nine five. Again, six four six nine two nine two four nine five. Germany won World War Two. Wow, no, I, not at all. <laughs> and Ray, Ray is reiterating what I just said exactly. When you're living overseas, you get another point of view, and we have to stop thinking that. Our point of view is the sole point of view. We have, uh, we have legitimately input to provide to the world, and we should likewise legitimately accept input from the rest of the world. After all, we're interdependent, and we are, <laughs> and to put it bluntly, the new way of being has made us more interdependent than before. The new economy 
the economy of robbing everybody, the economy of telling the workers in your country that they are but a commodity has made us more dependent on the world. We don't manufacture, we don't have the technological manufacturing skills within our populations that we once had. And when we talk about wanting to return to manufacturing, we couldn't even return to manufacturing if we wanted to because our people right now need a whole lot of retraining to be able to do so. We didn't move with the we didn't move with the technologies that we've instituted across the pond or across the Pacific Ocean. We didn't. So remember that, folks. Remember. Thank you, Dan, uh, Dana Matisa. Thank you very much. Okay, Daniel Ledo, I have lived overseas and found their viewpoint often stuck. So yeah, I did get a different perspective and found it to be wanting. You know, I don't know if to answer that, Daniel, but because we have thousands of listeners, I think I will. That is the type of attitude, right? That gets the entire American people in trouble. You know, when I go into other countries, I try to be of the other country. When I came to America, I became part of America. When I became a United States citizen, I became an American citizen. Yes, of Panamanian descent who maintains a lot of my Panamanian culture, but who formed the fabric of what this country is. When I go to Jamaica, when I go to, to, to China, when I go to Japan, when I go to, it's funny, I've been all over, but I haven't been to Europe. Wow. Uh, when, I go, when I go to all these other countries around the world, I try to get into that culture. I try to understand that culture. And I try to realize that different, doing things differently doesn't necessarily mean doing things wrong or right. The problem is many of us or many Americans, Daniel, go over to these other countries with exactly as my cousin says, uh, uh, he said uh, with that, that, that thought of American exceptionalism, every, every country believes they're exceptional. And that's the truth. I mean, suppose the British started speaking about their exceptionalism and America just being an appendage of their exceptionalism. America being founded on issues based on the Magna Carta, Magna Carta. So, I mean, suppose other countries reminded America that that what they considered exceptional was borrowed from many other countries. Now, if you want to say that we are exceptional because we are putting it all together and we're going to have a great melting pot where this will all be together, then I'll say, hooray, let's talk about that, because that I could agree on. We are doing better in absorbing uh, people with different cultures in America than most other countries in the world. That's the fact. I mean, that is a fact. Uh, people from all over the world can become United States citizens. That, is a, that makes this country great. Yes. You go to Japan, you can't be a Japanese citizen. You go to other countries, you cannot be a citizen. But you know what? I don't look at that necessarily as just a thought of exceptionalism. I look at it as, a, as a, an atonement. Atonement in realizing that those who created this country did it in the form that they did. How then dare they not create mechanism to open the doors for the people from all over the world? After having not coming through an open door into this country, but blasting into this area. So let's, let's, let's be frank. Let's be moral 
let's be thoughtful in the in the things that we think about in the things that we put out there well, and that is very true ray uh american exceptionalism no longer have credibility around the world but i'll posit something else my friend ray one other thing uh to many countries and you're you're from the same place that i'm from so you know Yes, while many held America as exceptional, remember 1964 in Panama. Remember a lot of these other times. Not all the times was the country considered exceptional for good cause. Not all of the times. Now, uh, but anyhow, we're down to the last four minutes. So I want to give uh, my good friend here, John, some more speaking time. John, add to the discussion, please. Okay, I want to speak a little bit about oh, – I want to hear your opinion on, you know, uh, Bernie gave a speech, I guess, last Sunday night, and uh, in, the, in the press, uh, Talking Points Memo, I think he especially kind of, kind of uh, got it wrong. Uh, what he was saying was – yeah, they were saying, they were saying that, uh, you know, he was talking about identity politics, and what he was right. saying was that – does it, it, you can't just depend on identity politics that we have, yes. and, but I mean he didn't just reject identity politics, and so I think he no, was look, misquoted yeah, quite a bit. I don't, I don't even look. I don't even necessarily say that they misquoted him. I'm not even going to go that far. I'm just going to say that they are immature establishment hacks. That's what I'm going to say. And there is a there is a large there is a large group of liberal blogs and all the rest that are just that as well. Establishment hacks at times. I'm not saying at all times, and I'm not saying the blog proper, but I'm saying that the, the truth of the matter is you cannot depend solely on identity politics. There's a reason for identity politics when there is a reason for identity politics. And when is that reason? When there is a Trump. When there is a Trump saying what he says, in, uh, Trump is the exact reason why you need to have a measured form of politics that involves all the truities, right? In other words, uh, it is true that there are, I, let, let's give an example. He goes, uh, Trump's whole thing was the white working class doing poorly, and not only the white working class doing poorly, but, all, but somehow white people, and he doesn't say it exactly that way, are losing their control of what is America. Not true, but that is what he's and in doing so, I'm, 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 I, I, I tell you what, I, I'm, I'm, we are going to continue this discussion after the, 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 the on-air part of the show, but I, I really want to get a quick thing out. Uh, I, I want to make a quick statement that it stays on, the, on this part of the show. Um, here's, a, here's the reality. The reality is Bernie Sanders is absolutely right. Democrats cannot depend on identity politics to win. I, I always hated hearing the I hated the phrase that said the demographics of America means Republicans or means Republicans are dying and Democrats will win. That is a fallacy. If you doubt that, come into several barrios here in, in Texas and watch how many staunch Republicans, Latinos that you have. And you know what? The exit polls showed that in uh, showed that. And it's and it's some misleading that's going on there. But I, as soon as we're we're going to shut down this part of the show and i'm going to keep it facebook live and keep the phones open as well 
on uh, Blog Talk Radio, but the live part will be ceasing to exist. So, folks, thank you for listening to Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis, your host. Please remember that to come back on Wednesday, or rather, on Thursday at 3 p.m. on KPFT 90.1 FM, KPFT 90.1 FM in Houston, or kpft.org slash listen online. I'm going to continue the show now. Let me close that part down. Great. Now I'm going to continue the show because what you spoke about uh, really got to me, uh, John. We cannot play solely on identity politics. The reason there is identity politics is that there is identity politics. It is true that, and Trump is is the instantiation of identity politics. When he talks dog whistles, when he goes ahead and he lies to people and tells them that the cause of their problem is directly responsible, that those others are directly responsible, that is identity politics. And it works because for a low information, for, for a low information population, which is what we have, we, unfortunately, it's not the population's fault all of the times or necessarily. I mean, we have to work so hard. We're the hardest working country on the planet we don't get we don't get the rewards for that work and people want to be entertained they get home from a, a day of work they want to be entertained they don't read as much look i hold it against them sometimes but sometimes i have to be i have to be less than judgmental but those people the message that trump puts out there the 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 latinos the immigrants are taking your jobs the muslims are going to blow you up all these different things put together catalyzes the mind. And in doing so to the mind, what does it do? It tells others they need to fear you. And in fearing you, they vote against their interests, not realizing that they're doing so. That is the kind of message deep within the thought of Bernie Sanders, which is actually right. You solve their economic problem. They'll still, there will still be racist, sexist, misogynist, homo, uh, uh, xenophobic. I don't, the truth of the matter is I don't care personally if America has racists in America. As long as every, whomever you are, have the freedom to do as you please, have the freedom to be economically successful, have the freedom to excel. I don't care if my neighbor around the corner is racist. I don't care if my neighbor across the, I would like him to change and I would try to do what's necessary to make a better country because I think all of us interacting together, being, it's, it's a better thing to have. But him being a racist does not necessarily affect me. Him being a sexist or, or doesn't affect me. It is when policies are talked about that materially affect me that these issues come into play. Therefore, Bernie Sanders is absolutely right. Democrats should get away from just uh, comparting uh, in a fashion where it's not necessary. You go ahead, and, 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 and I have a question for you, John. What do you think about the fight between Nancy Pelosi and uh, Tim Ryan? Well, I mean, I want Pelosi to stay the leader. I mean, I, Ryan, uh, I mean, he has good ideas, but, I mean, you know, you look at his voting record. He, he was, uh, I mean, we, this is kind of going back to identity politics, but, I mean, you know, he just recently changed on the abortion issue, and you know, I mean, he sounds he sounds good uh, on on you know the issues, 
but I mean, I you know, I still believe that Pelosi has the 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 voting record over the decades, and you know, I mean, the the point that people who want Ryan are saying she's out of touch, she's a San Francisco liberal, and we need to win the Rust Belt back, and Ryan can do that. I understand that perspective. But I'm just not willing to to just throw Pelosi, you know, off the boat. I think that, that is my dilemma. Your dilemma is my dilemma. And here is the deal. I'll be frank with you. If I were a Nancy Pelosi, if I were Nancy Pelosi, I honestly, for the uh, first of all, Nancy Pelosi earned the right to, to the position she has for raising money. She earned the right to the position she has to be to have been a strong progressive throughout someone that, that we could all depend on for passing Obamacare. Better. She, she was a better representative of Obamacare than Obama was. And uh, so, I mean, Nancy Pelosi has the chops. Not only that, in semi-identity politics here, a strong woman in leadership. However, we have not successfully allowed, uh, we have not successfully removed uh, the stigma that Nancy Pelosi plays within certain parts of the country. And if Nancy Pelosi wants the job, I am willing to say it's yours just because of history. But I think uh, Tim Ryan does have a point that uh, from, a, uh, and two things he said today on, on, um, on AM Joy and AM Joy really grilled him. You know, AM Joy showed her particular bias, justifiable bias on, on when she grilled him today. And one that uh, whether he could raise, uh, you know, he, he brought up the thing that, that said, yes, money is important, but how successful was money, which the Democrats were watched in this time around, how successful was money in this election? And secondly, he brought out the point that she is, in fact, used as the, 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 the stone, the, the person you stone. You just have to put her, her, her picture up with somebody else to kind of drive the other side crazy. If I were Nancy Pelosi in her shoes, I may be the one that says I want to anoint this person. And not only that, I would get the Democratic Party to create a position of power for Nancy with somebody else being the, 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 uh, the face just because of playing a pragmatic game. It's, you know, I, I don't know what you think about that, but that, that is what I would likely do. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I just I, I, I'm still I'm still loyal to her, I but I mean, I, I see Ryan's point. To, I see yes. Ryan's point also, but I just if it would have been somebody who actually had a more liberal voting record, then I would be. I mean, if it was like John Lewis or something, I'd say yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I hear, but anyhow, so you know where where, where we stand on on, uh, on Bernie Sanders. I don't think Bernie Sanders has anything to apologize for. In fact, I think Bernie Sanders was absolutely right. John, give me a closing statement. I need to get out of here. All right, it's a good show. Uh, you know, we need to just keep try fighting Trump. I think the best way is this emoluments clause. But I mean, we need to also uh, try to take all of his other uh, all the other issues and the Republicans like the Medicare. Uh, get rid of Medicare, getting rid of ACA. We need to fight all of these things. And uh, so, you know, just keep doing it. I want to see more fighters in the Democratic Party out of our elected officials also. John, it's a pleasure having you all of the time. So I don't like to have a monologue, and I wish more people would call into the show. 
they leave messages on Facebook. They watch it. According to Blog Talk, we have a pretty darn good audience. Uh, but more people, please, you guys, if you have questions, come into the fold. Make yourself known. Folks, don't remember to go ahead and share these, these videos. This is how we are going to get the alternate media out there because n neither the liberal media, which is really non-existent, or the right-wing media is going to tell you the things that, that you uh, make you a part of the show, make you a part of the, the dialogue, or tell you the things from a different perspective, a perspective from we the people and not a perspective from we the establishment. Remember, even MSNBC and all these stations are a part of our corporatocracy. And while we have good progressives in, in there as well, there's just so much they can do or so much liberty they have. So share this, these videos. Please remember to do so. Please remember to tell folks about these programs and let them know to come on full. Please remember to go to Egberto Willis and, and, uh, and, and follow that twi Twitter feed. I think we're up to 10,000 something right now. Please remember to go to uh, Politics Done Right with Egberto Willis on Facebook and go ahead and give that page a like and let's grow our movement. Before I go, I have one thing that I'm going to be asking everybody. I am going to be putting together short videos of real stories from people who are using the Affordable Care Act. I'll likely build a website of all these stories and try to get this promoted so that people can see that this does matter. I haven't yet written the blog. I've been read it, very busy about it. But if you know folks that are using the ACA, be prepared to give them this blog when I, I come out and tell them what I'd like to ask them to do to be a part of this campaign to, to show that folks are really dependent on this, pro this program that we all pay for. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. Thank you very kindly for spending this time with me. You have a wonderful day. Adios and bye-bye.